Welcome to the We Are VIP podcast. Each week, your host, Casey Haston, Director of Recruiting at VIP, will bring you valuable insights from thought leaders, introduce you to incredible companies, and bring you tips for landing your dream job from our team of executive recruiters at VIP. And now, Casey Haston. Welcome to the We Are VIP podcast, a podcast devoted to adding value to your career or candidate search, brought to you by VIP. I'm your host, Casey Haston. I'm an executive recruiter, director of recruiting with VIP, and your all-around hiring guru. And you know, I really want to bring you topics and advice and information on topics that we all deal with, on issues that we all deal with. And I want to be completely transparent with you. The topic that we're going to be talking about today is one that I am personally going through right now. So with that being said, I'd like to invite Sharon Tasman, partner and founder of HTB Biz Law, to be on our show today. Sharon helps tech, life sciences, and professional service businesses with vendor and client contracts, research and clinical trials, and protecting and monetizing IP assets. She will be discussing how to handle being a caregiver while trying to maintain a career and how companies can support that. Thank you so much for joining us today, Sharon. Casey, thank you much, so much for having me. It's, it's really a pleasure to be on your podcast. And, and I know that this is a heavier topic than you often talk about, but I think it's so important and it affects, like you said, you're going through it now. I went through it for 10 years. It really affects having a career and a life at the same time. It takes effort. You know, it really does. And, you know, I loved our pre-interview conversation because, and oftentimes this is what happens. Like you're like, okay, these are my speak, speaking points. You know, I get a media package about you. But then when we talk, we're like, oh no, this is what we need to talk about. This is a bigger topic. But before we dive into that, tell us a little bit about you and what you do. So as you mentioned, I am the partner and founder of HT Biz Law. I've actually had that law firm for 10 years. Uh, we focus on solo and small business as businesses who are doing startup as well as larger, I would say mid-size tech and biotech and life sciences companies. I left the you know, multi-billion dollar multinational conglomerates behind when I left big law. I did big law for 15 years and that was enough. It's incredible learning experience, but very hard to balance work and life. And I also really wanted to make a difference. And by having a smaller practice, I could work with smaller clients and also have a greater impact because at more affordable rates, people were able to actually use us as something other than a strategic missile, and we can head problems off at the pass. And I'm really all about empowering, especially women and members of the BIPOC community to be able to start and run their businesses legally, protect themselves, and just be successful. You know, and I love what you just said there about really wanting to support women and help them, you know, to, and, and not only when they need a strategic missile, I don't think I've heard it like that before, but it makes a lot of sense because a lot of times we don't call a lawyer until it's almost too late. Yeah. Or sometimes the deals I do was we would come in, you know, I would come in, do a billion dollar deal and leave. Yes. And that's, that was what we did. And it, as my career progressed and rates got higher, that's what more my career became. Whereas in the beginning, when you're younger, you're more affordable and also economy over time goes up. You were able to work, I was able to work more with clients and become part of their team 
effectively, even though I was external counsel, and really get to know them and know their business so that I could see things coming. And that's you know, what really drove me. It was like, oh, this is really exciting. I mean, yeah, the big deals are sexy, but they're impersonal. And as will probably become readily apparent during our, our time, you already know this, I am a wild extrovert. So <laughs> it just cold is not my MO. So I love that. So you specialize in the fields of technology and intellectual property development acquisition protection and commercialization um, I'm probably leaving something out but you're and a lot with consultants and business services right business service agreements and in as particularly life science consulting mm -hmm. and transactions so I mean that's a really wide birth what connects all these things so actually it's not I actually think of myself as very specialized and at, at my firm, we only do things that fall into those buckets, health, tech, and, and business law. And the reality is they all blend together. So I actually started in, as an engineer and a computer programmer. I've been, for various reasons, a patient mentor for cancer patients. And I then went on and did business and then law. So I actually did all these things in different parts of my life. And they do really blend also from a, from a work perspective as well because anytime you're doing a transactional deal, it, it blends all of these things together. You cannot separate understanding the technology from understanding the business and obviously the legal implications because if I'm helping two parties do a joint venture or do a collaboration, I have to know what their business goals are, what the scientific goals are so that the contract reflects what they want to happen at the end of the day. and. You know, there almost isn't a company out there that doesn't have technology, whether it's software, hardware, IT. So even if you're not a technology company, technology certainly touches your business. And when you're dealing with consultants, they work across the same basic principles. It's just different fields. But because I've worked in all three of these fields, it enables me to see different angles at the same time, which I think makes me more effective than somebody who didn't do technology or didn't do medical research as a, as a patient mentor for cancer patients. So it like fits it all together. It's fun. So I have a personal question, not a personal, sure. but a personal business question. Um, and you talk about these contracts, these business contracts and these, mm -hmm. you know, joint ventures. And, you know, I'm one of those type of people where I'm just like, handshake. Oh, no. <laughs> I just saw your heart melt. <laughs> oh, oh, Casey, no. <laughs> so, and here's why. If you create reports, drawings, video, artwork, graphics, web design, computer software, the videos that you're creating, every single thing I've just listed is covered by copyright law. Mm -hmm. In the United States, the owner of the copyright is the person who created the work unless they affirmatively and expressly give some of those rights away. It cannot happen on a handshake. So you, Casey, could pay someone a million dollars to design your website, to design your logo, to create videos for you, to edit videos for you, to write text for you. You've paid them a million dollars on a handshake. They own everything and you own nothing. So, I, I know, I just saw you 
sit up that was my, for a second. That was my heart melting. <laughs> that was your heart melting. There you go. So, so that's one of the things I'm trying to do is if you look on my social media and my problem is I really want to help. Like I truly want to help. And, you know, people say in business, you should teach the what and the why, but not the how, because if you teach the how, then no one hires you. My problem is, is I want to teach the how. I want people to understand these things. So on all my social media, it's all about the how pretty much. But people don't realize this and it catches even really big entities that should know better and even have lawyers that should have told them better by surprise all the time. Now, if somebody is an employee creating this in the scope of their employment, you're covered because the owner is their employer. Right. But if you're working with an independent contractor and when you say on a handshake, I'm assuming they're not an employee, they are a third party. You own nothing. They own everything. So when you're a consultant or whether you're hiring somebody, you have to make sure that the contract, you one, you have to have a contract because if it's not in writing, it never happened. It doesn't matter if somebody says, of course you own it. Of course you can use it. Let me tell you, they wrote some code for you. You put it in an app. The app becomes successful. You go to sell the app. The venture capitalist who is buying the app does some research and discovers that you own nothing. And the person who you already paid is gonna get an even bigger payout to actually sign an assignment document to you. And I know this because for 10 years, I was the person the venture capitalist sent in to dig. Oh, yes. Ooh. And let me tell you, we look at it like a logic game. We know something's wrong. Yeah. And we will dig until we find it. You know, I've actually had that happen in business before a long time ago, but we had developed some software on a handshake. It's like you would think I would know better than by now. And we ended up losing in court because when we parted ways with the programmer, we didn't have anything in writing say we own that program that we paid for and he walked away with everything. Yes. So I totally get that. I totally it's get so, that. So those are the things I'm trying to help people understand that when you're especially if you're a solo or a small business, you're, you're not as risk tolerant as a big company. You can't afford to, to cough up 10,000, 50,000, $100,000, let alone the million, and then have nothing at the end of the day. So that's you know one of the areas I do within the practice is to focus on small and solos who are starting up to make sure they have the fundamentals in place and to let them know that legal doesn't have to be scary and it doesn't have to be crazy expensive. It's just so much better to do it at the beginning because, and this is an expression we use in IP, there are some bells that are unringable. Once, once that bell is rung, once your confidential information is out there, once you've given away all of your rights or never gotten them in the first place, once you've publicly disclosed something about a trade secret, it's done. Mm. It's gone. So part of a lot of what I do is as much education and training as it is drafting contracts for people. It's teaching them what they need to do. I, it gives me joy. I can tell that. I mean, I know in our first conversation, you were so very passionate about this. You know, and one thing I want to point out is that, I mean, you're obviously very successful. You're very career driven. You know what it is that you want, where you want to go, what you want to share with the world. But sometimes, and this is kind of what I learned about you, your heart, your humanity, when we talked, sometimes life's not quite that fair to us. And we find ourselves having to 
you know, balance life and career with caring for, you know, someone that needs extra care, you know, at some point in their life. And I know you went through something like that. And if you wouldn't mind sharing a little bit about that and how you coped and maybe help us give some strategies to those people and to the companies to help those people. Uh, absolutely. So I'm, I'm an open book. Um, every people know this about me. I, for 10 years dealt with first my father getting cancer and then passing my mother not handling that well, and then my mother getting cancer four times. And even before that, my father had heart problems, which led him to eight heart attacks, 12 stents, a quadruple bypass, an artificial aorta, just, just a little bit of heart problems, <laughs> which is why I do cardio just about every day, because not me. So for 10 years, I dealt with the impact of I didn't know when I'd get the phone call. So I'm the only local child. I have a brother, but he lives far away and was not capable of helping. I live 20 minutes away. I mean, one, as a woman, as the daughter, let, let's be realistic. As a woman, the burden often falls to us yes. no matter what. Even if you have four siblings who live all over the country and no one's in the place where the parents are, the daughters usually are the ones who end up taking the lead. It just... It's, it's the way society has been set up or conditioned or the fact that I think, honestly, we tend to be a little more empathetic. Now, I will say that I'm getting married next week and my fiance is a very heart-centered person, which, which I absolutely adore. And he was there for his father and his mother. But it's rare that it's the man, it's usually the woman. Yes. And we already have enough difficulties at work comparatively it is just realistically it is harder we have to be better stronger faster to achieve the same level of success there we still don't have enough equity and you know equality in the higher levels of business where it's 50 50 it's still 22 percent you know at the law firm i was at of all the partners only like 20 percent were women mm. and the equity partners even less so and a law firm knows they you know they understand but People have to come up, people have to get promoted, they have to be given the opportunities. And I, I'm not man-hating, I, I think men are wonderful. Like I said, I'm, I'm getting married next week, but it's it's just a reality that we have we come up against barriers in society that men don't have. And then when we add on top of it, the fact that we end up often being the caretaker, it would be really helpful if companies paid attention to this a little more. you know. So for me, I dealt with the fact that my mother didn't do mourning. So for pretty much all of my father's surgeries and heart attacks, I got the phone call, um, even though I was a lawyer, because my mother didn't do mourning. So I would be there at six in the morning or I'd get the phone call. That's okay. You know, mom did late nights. I would never know when the call would happen. I would never know. You know, I even one time said to my mom, okay, I cannot go for these 48 hours. It, I, I can't be on call because I have to fly on a business trip to another city to close a deal. I said, unless it is an absolute emergency, I cannot be available. And then I got the call that morning going, I need to go to the hospital. So it makes it harder to have a career on the track that you intend. 
And I will be perfectly honest at my big, at the big law firm, the last five or six years I was there, I was part-time. Mm. Now, granted part-time for a lawyer is still 40 hours a week, right? More <laughs> because you can't bill every hour that you're there. So I was still working a normal full-time job, but part-time by legal standards. And that was also one of the things that, you know, led me to think about, do I want to practice was it does give you more flexibility. Being the boss gives you a little more flexibility, responsibilities in some way, but in-house, whether it's in a law firm, in corporations, there's still a lot of things that can be done, I think, beyond what the law requires, right? For people who don't know, there's the Family and Medical Leave Act, which requires that employers with more than 50 people, if you've worked 1,250 hours in a year in the 12 months before, which comes out to 24 hours a week, so more than more than 50% time, they have to give you 12 weeks of unpaid leave, not paid, unpaid. And if you have vacation or sick time that you've accrued, they can force you to take that first. So 12 weeks of unpaid leave, if you are the primary breadwinner and you're a caretaker, that's a significant amount of not being paid. Yep. And supposedly you're supposed to be guaranteed your job back. But the law actually says that they can shift you to a position that will pay the same and be similar anyway. Oh, I did not know that. Yes, they can. And especially if you want to take your leave. So you don't have to take all 12 weeks at once. You could take it. You can get 12 weeks in a 12 month period. You can take it half days. You can take it in smaller increments. And the law says that if your position would be easier for them to accommodate in a different role, as long as it's comparable pay and benefits, they have the right to ask you to take a different job that would be more compatible with a flexible schedule. Now, we are in a world that has gone remote. I know companies want to drive people back to work, mm -hmm. but remote in some degree is here to stay. I think that makes that provision of the Family Medical Leave Act a little obsolete and a little unfair because you, sh especially with remote, with your 12 weeks, you can do most jobs on a reduced hour schedule. So, you know, the first thing I would say is I would love to see some form of paid leave. You'd love to see some kind of paid leave. You're fine. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, I would love to see that there was some kind of paid leave or what would be really good is if companies followed the spirit of the law, not just the law. I think you have a lot of in name only where they do exactly what's required and nothing more. I think companies would get better feedback, better performance, better loyalty if they helped employees more than they do. And I think it can be done in a way that doesn't really impact the company's bottom line. You know, for example, I do think businesses, even if they can't do paid leave, should be more accommodating of people who want to take 
you know, who need to take the leave, for example, in incremental steps, not all 12 weeks at once, but half time. Let, let that be the norm to have people be able to either take it as half time or even without having to trigger the Family and Medical Leave Act. If somebody says for the next three months, I'm happy to take a pay cut mm. and work part time. Can I do that? Or is it okay if I still do the 40 hours I owe you, but I change around when I get the work done so that I can have from, you know, noon to four every day to deal with the family matter that I need to take care of. You know, I'll work eight to noon, I'll work then four to eight. It's still gonna be my same 40 hours. Can I time shift? And that's both something I think for the employers, but also I think for employees that to be a caregiver and still have a career, it, it reminds me of um, Shonda Rhimes gave a speech to um, a college for graduation. And one of the things that she touched on was work-life balance. In this case, we're gonna make it the analogy of caretaking and work balance. It's still work-life balance, but now we're being a little more specific. Someone, she said that someone asked her once, how does she do it all? She said, how do you be a great mom, raise kids, be a wife, and produce all these incredible TV shows, Grey's Anatomy, Station 19, you know, be this powerhouse. How do you do it all so well? And she says, the answer is, I don't. I can't do it all at the same time. When I'm being a great mom, I'm not as focused at work. When I'm being driven by work, I'm not as present as I want to be. And I think that is something that both the employees and the employers need to understand. The employee may want to be fully dedicated, but if it's your parent, if it is your child that is gravely ill, you have to be able to focus and on the child. You will come back to being focused on the work. You will have a more dedicated and committed employee if you help them with the flexibility. But that being said, as the employee, you also need to be flexible. Uh, you know, I think the most important thing is communication. When you know that you are going to have to be out, if you know in advance, communicate in advance so that the times that it does become an emergency, like I would get the call and you have to go and you have to drop everything. And it was difficult as a lawyer and it, it certainly affected my career. I'm not going to lie. It just did. You you know, if you can minimize the no notice emergencies, that will help. But the reality is you have to accept where your priority are, is at that point in time. If you've been a great employee up until the point where you have a family member that gets ill, that you have to deal with, one, hopefully your employer will understand and appreciate all the work that you've done and give you some slack. But as the employee, you have to accept that for the next period of time, your focus has to shift. It, it isn't only on the employer to make all of the, the changes, the accommodations, the employee needs to try to do their best. How I did it was I might work Saturday and Sunday to have to make up for the time because it wasn't just a pure hours things for me. I had clients that were counting on me to do something, to get something done. Yes, there are people that can help you, but like I said, what I do is pretty specialized. 
so there are not as many people to step in. But I wanted to be able to focus on the family person when I was with the family person. So I would put the work down for the, that period of time and then come back to it at whatever time I was able to. So I think flexibility all around really is the first step. You know, and I love what you said there about, you know, going ahead. And, and this is something I've struggled with, as I've shared with you. My mom is not doing well right now, and it's been going on for several months. I can't imagine doing that for 10 years because several months has seemed like a lot. And I ended up in the hospital from stress and my body collapsing and getting sepsis when it was all over. Oh, I, I can believe it because it Ten is days. very stressful. Yeah, it's it's exhausting. Yeah. that That's another point of things that we should point out for people is, if you have moments to take care of yourself, you have to. The number one rule of being a caretaker, this has nothing to do with work. The single most important thing you can do as being a caretaker is take care of yourself first. If you don't, you will end up like me, where I went from fine to deathly ill in a span of four hours because my body just collapsed and I ended up in the hospital on an insane amount of antibiotics around the clock by IV, swallowing it. it it was really horrible you have to take care of yourself i didn't i didn't and i and i think that is so true but i think too giving yourself grace because and this is where i struggle you know when i'm at work and mom's in the hospital i feel guilty when i'm with mom spending time with her and not at work i feel guilty you know and, and really trying to reconcile those emotions and being present, like you said, like when you are with your loved one and you're the caregiver, you're the caregiver and you need to focus on that. But then when you're at work, you need to focus on work, but it's very difficult to focus on work if you don't take care of the business as of being a caregiver first. Yes. So I completely get that. What would you say would be one way everybody that's listening today could help raise awareness about this, this situation? What's one thing we could do? Well, I think something that everybody could do is try to have the conversation with management. If you're at work, if, you know, we're raising awareness right now, it's, it's having the conversation, not when you're in that position, but is there at the job you're in a forum to talk about employee issues generally, not from the perspective of, I need mental counseling kind of help, but companies do ask what they could be doing better, what they could be doing different. It does take courage to step up and make a suggestion, but because it, you know, everyone's afraid it will reflect negatively on them. But if you present, and hopefully not alone, how this could benefit uh, the company by having more dedicated workers, they might listen, but do it when you don't actually need it. Yes. Right? Um, but also raising awareness like this, whether it is being open about the challenges you face, like you and I are doing in this podcast or um, in other support groups or going to support groups. I think that's, you know, getting articles written, being open on social media. Everybody's on social media. It, it does take a village to get issues raised. You know, we can speak out to local television stations or radio stations. Part of it is just getting the message out that how much of a burden this is, right? That, and it's something that, like everybody has a mother or you know parents or children or siblings, it's making it personal. Being open about yourself 
enables other people to be open about their situations. And when you can get people to relate at an emotional level, then, and see how it might be them someday, mm. they're more interested in making awareness about it, right? People have trouble bad-mouthing you or discounting you if you can get them emotionally invested. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, I, I just want to say thank you for sharing your heart with us today and allowing me to take this in a little bit different direction than what you typically do on a podcast, because That's I fine. just think it is such good information. And, you know, and what you said is talking about it before you need to talk about it. That's not something I understood before I started going through this. And, and that's. I'm going to start paying attention to more situations that I'm not going through for that very reason to see if I need to raise an alarm bell about something else or because, but, and, and I will say, you know, my company VIP has been absolutely amazing. We've actually had two of us going through this at the same time. And they're just like, go, go, <laughs> you know, come back when you can, but for now go. So it's been a really supportive and amazing experience. And I hope that Many other companies offer that as well. One other thing I would say is if somebody asks you, can I help? Is there anything you need? Is there something I can do? Say yes. We're so conditioned to say, no, I've got it. I'm good. I can do it myself. Or to feel like we shouldn't have to ask for help. When you have an, an ill family member, it takes a village. Mm -hmm. And if you don't know what they could do, they could go grocery shopping for you. They could bring you food in. Um, anything to take any of the burden off you if somebody offers help. It's it's the same thing I say because I do mentor cancer patients because I've done it twice now, personally. Um, stage four, stage one. <laughs> is People will ask, is there anything I can do? What do you need? And the first thing is to say no. And the thing I tell people is say yes, assume that if somebody offers help, they actually mean it and then take them up on it. That is something I struggle with every single day. Okay, this has been fascinating. We are almost out of time and I definitely want to get to our VIP questions. So okay. let's lighten the mood just a little bit, okay? Absolutely. <laughs> so if you were chosen to be one of the first colonists on Mars, what three things or people would you take with you? So, Actually, the first two came to me very quickly. The third one I had to think about a little, and it actually came to me just before the call or before a podcast. The first is absolutely, without a doubt, my amazing fiance. He makes me laugh every day. We make each other laugh. I could not imagine life without him. I certainly would not go to Mars without him. <laughs> um, he's also very handy with tools and building things. The second thing I would bring is an iPad with of course, the never-ending power source, because if we're going to Mars, we've got that, or they already have figured out the power. An iPad loaded with all, downloaded into it, all the music that I can come up with, and a ton of books and like art applications. Because I could not imagine life without music. Because if you have music, depending on the mood, there's just every type of music. There's music to lift you up, to calm you down, to dance romantically too with your significant other. And the third thing I would take um, is an ode to my father who was in construction and I used to be a Girl Scout, be prepared, a multifunction tool, mm. like Leatherman makes these. So it's got a screwdriver, uh, pliers, a, a Phillips head, a flathead, a wrench. I mean, it's all in one because you never know what's going to break. 
So to be have the ability to fix things on the fly would certainly be key if you're colonizing another planet. Way to get a whole toolbox into one item. <laughs> exactly. You said three things and That's it's right. a thing. It's a multifunction tool is a thing. Yeah. I love it. So what's one thing you do each morning to set your day up for success? Exercise. I get up and I do my best to get on the treadmill first thing and not look at my phone until I do. Because if I look at my phone before I get on the treadmill, my whole day goes something sideways. I agree wholeheartedly with that. Okay, final question. If your life's work was being summarized in a news article, what would the headline be? Truth is stranger than fiction. Oh, okay. <laughs> that sounds like a whole nother podcast right there. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, I've, I've been a engineer, a programmer, a lawyer, I ran GE's computer training center at 21. I've been a lawyer. I've beaten cancer twice, including stage 4B. Uh, I don't feel my feet, yet I came in fourth in the United States National Dancing Championships in ballroom dancing. Chemo, don't feel my feet. Uh, yeah, uh, started my own company. I, it's kind of not real. I've been to 55 countries. Good thing it was all before the pandemic. And I'm, you know, trying to build a business in the world that we're in. So I think truth is stranger than fiction or I, dot, 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 stranger than fiction. I, I totally get that. How do people find you? So you can find me at www.htbizlaw.com. And that's also our handle on almost all social media. Just search at htbizlaw and Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, uh, Facebook, LinkedIn. I don't, I don't what's now X. I don't Twitter anymore. No. What? Everywhere I, but there. Oh, that is wonderful. Okay. Well, I just have, I actually, thank you so much for being here with us today. Number one. And usually I just have one thing left to say at the end of the show, but I actually have two things left to say today. So number one, congratulations on getting married next thank week. You. You, I can just see your face shine whenever you mention it. And then the last thing I want to say to you is you are a VIP. Thank you. And thank you so much for having me. You're a terrific host. And that's a wrap for today. Join us next week here on the We Are VIP podcast. We'd love to know how we can help you be a VIP. To find out more, log on to wearevip.com.